Hey, what's up? Today we are talking to Clayton, a.k.a. Cell Dweller, a legend in the style of music that I'm very involved in. That is electronic rock and metal. He really is a master at this genre, and he's been doing it a long time and has a lot of insights on both music and the industry. Before we get into this episode, become a member for only $3 today and support the Burn This World podcast it sounds like a very little amount of money, but collectively, it really does add up for us. And you get a lot of exclusive content for that three bucks. You get the icebreaker section where I ask the guests some silly questions before the podcast starts to get the conversation rolling. You also get the after show recap where I review what we talked about personally and give my opinions on it. You also get some unreleased music like random metalcore songs I wrote over the years or Browning songs that I never finished. And you get some behind-the-scenes Browning stuff like my recording process on the End of Existence record. So you get a lot of exclusive content, and it really helps us out. Head over to BurnThisWorld.com and click the Become a Member button. For only 3 bucks a month, it really goes a long way. Again, BurnThisWorld.com and click Become a Member. Thank you so much. Let's get into this episode with Clayton. It was a really good one. I'm Johnny McBee. You're listening to the Burn This World podcast. I'm here with Clayton, uh, Cell Dweller, and a, a million other aliases. Um, <laughs> how you doing today? Doing good? Doing good. Doing good. Still alive. Good. Uh, and I mean, that that's one thing that I, I really wanted to talk to you about um, is all the projects. Like, because you have Cell sure. Dweller as like a mainstay, but a lot of these other ones are seemingly becoming very mainstay in your life as well. And so, I mean, what, you have like seven projects that you rotate? Uh, there's, I think I have five really, well, four really active ones. And then there's, there's a few like mulling around on the back burner that could be popping out soon. So, yeah. And yeah, so it, like, it how grows. do you, how do you like find the creativity for all these different outlets or is it more so you had too much creativity for one? So you're just like putting it out there. That, that's, that's more of what it is. So, so what happened is early in my career, I was making industrial music, super insecure about what I was doing. I had no experience. I never went to school to learn how to play music, to learn how to write songs, to record. And so what I did is I hid behind a million aliases. I would do a million projects. It's amazing that anybody could follow it. And when I finally um, started Cell Dweller, I vowed to myself, I'm done with aliases and side projects. Anything I do is Cell Dweller because to me, that's what Cell Dweller is. Cell Dweller is, there's no boundaries. It's not a genre. I could mix this style with that style and I, I don't care. You know, like yeah. I just wanted to do that. But over time, a lot of things that I've wanted to do musically, um, like for instance, 80, 80s New Wave, I mentioned Robert Smith being a, an influence, like in The Cure. That obviously wasn't really part of the Cell Dweller sound. And um, it was actually someone from Spotify um, who commented on my profile who was like, hey, if you just go to the Cell Dweller profile on Spotify, hit shuffle, half the times you're just getting this like seven-minute ambient drone because I was doing this like experimental electronic music. And they're like, you're really – people want like metal from you and they're getting seven-minute drones. That's not really great for the algorithm. So that actually was the thing James Rhodes, you know, um, general manager of Fix, vice president um, – he and I kind of, you know, thought, thought that through a little bit. And I was like, man, I have to kind of break my vow here. And that was the first thing that I think made me go, hey, I have to start splitting some things off. So then doing something, a project like Scandroid, what that does is it allows me to, without any expectation, I can make a certain genre of music that I wanted to make for a really long time. And it's in its own bucket because cellular fans might not be into it. And people who are Scandroid fans might not be into Cell Dweller. If I had put all this stuff under one banner, uh, I, I think it would be even harder to grow a base. As much as I want to think people are open-minded and they'll just, you know, whatever you do, it's like the, the future. You know, we're, we're creating the sound of the future, what's coming. But the problem is that the general population doesn't keep up with, uh, with, with some of our expectations, you know. So mm -hmm. for me, splitting some of these projects off into totally separate things really helped them grow you know i have scandroid which is has been around for a lot uh, a lot less time with cell dweller and i'm you know I'm, it's comparable to cell dweller as far as like the fan base so yeah something's working yeah and i mean 
it it also i feel like this type of setup with multiple projects and with how streaming is and you can rotate a lot of releases um is really beneficial in the modern world with like um you know lack of physical sales and streaming and playlisting being so much more important yes yep and so yeah it's, it's actually yeah it's, it's just you know having the time to do it um and to the point you originally asked too, how do how do I keep it separate? Separate. What what it does is it gives me those areas where if I have the this, this itch that I want to scratch with a certain style of music, I look at all my buckets: Cell Dwellers, Scandroid, Circle of Dust, Freak Gen, and I go, which one does it fit in? And that's where I funnel that. So I'm able to create a lot more content because I have some place to actually release it. Gotcha. And so you sometimes you're just kind of jamming. And then what you come up with, you see where where that fits in your repertoire of projects. Yes. Yep, 100%. That makes I have like, yeah, an iTunes playlist of you know hundreds of demos. And if anything, I, if there's anything there that I feel is redeemable, which <laughs> 98% of it is not redeemable, but the little bit that is, it's like I now I can kind of look at that through the lens of each of my projects and go, oh, this is a no-brainer. This is definitely a cell roller track. Or, wow, I never thought about this being a freak gen track and being like this more experimental electronic thing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah, that, it, yeah. It, it, so, and then there are other times where I'm like, I am deliberately trying to create, like I'm working on a new Scandroid album right now. So I am going in knowing that I'm trying to fill that bucket and I'm creating ideas with some boundaries um, specific to Scandroid. So I, you know, I'm not trying to be cell dweller, as Scandroid, so there's things that I won't do. I'm not going to put Reese, you know, Reese bass lines and things like that, you know, any of the Scandroid track. With that, like building out a studio, like, because I've seen some pictures of like your setups that you've had. Um, mm -hmm. Like, how much of an in depth process is that for you? Um, it is overwhelming and massively time consuming. In fact, the last three days, I have been staring at a screen. Um, with a bunch of renders of the furniture that I'm having built and I'm trying to figure out where I'm placing my gear. What is the audio wiring? What is the MIDI wiring? Uh, what kind of power requirements do I have? Um, setting up patch bays and figuring out how the, the, the workflow is going to go. I mean, it's, it's, it's overwhelming. <laughs> I, I'm, unfortunately, like I came from a DIY background. I didn't grow up with any money. You know, we were mi middle to, to, to under middle class, you know, family growing up and, if I wanted anything, I had to work to get it. And so that, that, um, you know, you got to work for it to get it mentality just followed me through my whole career. So it's yeah. kind of like I've done everything myself and my, my, my personal take on things is if you want something done, you got to make it happen. Now I have a great team around me and they allow me to get a lot more done than I've ever been able to get done. But certain things like this, I can't hire somebody to be like, yeah, design my studio. They don't, they don't know where I want my right. samplers and they don't know where I want you know, I want my keyboard. So it, it is very time consuming. And I do hope I build this studio and I'm here for a while so that <laughs> I'm not doing this again for a while, man. It's, it's a drag. Definitely. I mean, you got a lot of physical gear. Like, um, I'm, yeah. I'm quite the opposite in, in my setups. I think it's just cause I'm still like permanently traveling. Like I, I have mm -hmm. yet to settle down in a spot. Um, and I, I'm basically like the epitome of make as much happen with as little as possible. Like, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm currently sitting in the closet of my RV recording this, you know, on a, Mac, <laughs> on a MacBook. And, I, I love it. I yeah. love it. And I, I think that that, that does kind of give me um, an edge to some degree because the setups are so simple that it lets me focus uh, on um, like the, you know, the simplicity of it. But yeah. I, it would be nice to have so many options and especially with what you create you do have a lot of physical stuff you have analog keyboards you have a lot of stuff that you're physically manipulating there rather than just automating yep. on a software which i'm sure you mm -hmm. do a lot of that as well but I like, do. Yep. what do you like why do you like using so much physical stuff rather than just buying a bank of massive presets and like what is it about the physical products that you like using well, well, there's, there's several things. Um, so, so for a little bit of a history lesson, like I grew up, you know, basically my parents were cool enough to let me use the, the unfinished basement in our house, which was dingy, man. The window was, you know, like mm -hmm. a eight inch by 10 inch window. That's the only light down there, pipes, unfinished ceiling. It was, it was gross. So, and I was broke. So I had very, very little gear. And it's similar to what you said. It's like eke out as much 
quality or and quantity out of the, t the the little gear that you have. So the things that I did with literally a, a Mac Classic computer, which is what I had, it had a you know a forty megabyte hard drive and one megabyte of RAM for the system. Um, that computer, one sampler. Um, and a four track. And that's literally all I had for my first three albums that I did in my life. So what I did with that amount of gear, most everybody I talked to was like, how did you do this? And I'm like, mm -hmm. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I didn't understand that the bands I was listening to had million dollar budgets yep. going into these crazy studios. I just was using my ears going, how do I get that sound that I would just keep working, you know, listening back to those albums, they don't sound anything like I wanted them to. They, they, they sound awful, you know, it's like, but I didn't have the gear. Um, so I'm used to eking out like very much out of very little. And quite honestly, there are times even now where I look back and go, I kind of wish I can go back there because I'm on the other side of that coin. Now I have so many things. And, and now with software, as you know, you have, sometimes have so many options, too many, what the, what the hell? Yeah. What, what do you grab? You know, like what, <laughs> How do you start? And I'm not like a template guy. I don't start with the yeah. template. All my sounds are ready to go. I'm almost starting from scratch with every track. But but the physical aspect, there is definitely a um, there's an inspiration factor being able to touch a tactile knob and a filter cut off and using your hand to tweak it and not a mouse. Yeah. Um, the sounds you can get. I mean, I I have for decades really been comparing analog to digital and digital is getting way, way better. No question about it, but there is still something about physical hardware that sounds different. I don't know how to really, how else to really say it. So, you know, and then, and then that being said with all the gear that I have and then all the software options I have, I mean, I, I am, um, I'm, I'm kind of agnostic when it comes to hardware versus software. I'm not a purist. I'm not like, oh, I'm only using hardware. If, if I have, you know, I have, you know, probably eight or 10 different sam hardware samplers. And there are times it's just simpler for me to pull up contact, load a patch and go yeah. instead of me spending four hours creating a pad that I already have in a library, you know? So it really just depends. It depends on the application. Yeah. And it's interesting because I, I just to talked to Joel Wanasek, who's a really uh, successful mix engineer. Uh, um, okay. And he has the past like five years gone back to a, a physical like bored and he said the same thing mm. but he also couldn't explain why uh like why it sounds better or why it feels better but it just does and so it just does yeah yep. and i mean i've i've been you know i started writing and recording my own music probably about uh it's probably 17 years ago now and pretty much everything even then was already going fully towards plugins and vsts and everything right and so yep. i've just never been really i and i've never had the money uh when i was young to buy you know a fifteen hundred dollar you know korg or you know something like that right right <laughs> and, exactly and so like i've always grown up on vsts and so now um that i'm you know the successful musician and i can invest in myself a little bit i do really want to get into some of these where where's like a good starting point if someone really wants to get like a nice synthesizer like keyboard like where's a good starting point for someone like that well, I, you know, part of it is going to be what it, what do you want from an instrument? Like, like, do you want a sampler where you're, you know, be able to sample any sound? There's, there are some really good options there, but, but, but more than ever, it's like samplers have even gone really digital. Yeah. If you want really good sounding synthesizers, there's a bevy of options there as well. Um, or uh, it's a little, it, definitely more expensive and it's a little bit overwhelming, but your flexibility is much greater modular modular synths because modular synthesis and when i say synthesis it's not synthesizers each module like you buy one module and that might just be an oscillator so you're basically creating a massive patch by having by by you yeah. organizing six eight different modules to get your sound now it's really complicated it's a little overwhelming but when you understand the principle the sound uh palette opens up incredibly you're doing things that i still to this day have a hard time emulating in in software but that being said too for your for your listeners if that interests you at all there is a free program called vcv rack free go download it and there are literally thousands of modules and that's kind of the problem you'll get overwhelmed very quickly but mm -hmm. there are thousands of free modules and you can even start with the basics of modular synthesis in software for free and then if the bug bites you and you're like, this is amazing, 
you could start dipping your toe into uh, hardware and actually getting hardware options. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it is, it's interesting because whenever you get into that hardware and you get into those like synths that you're plugging, you know, moving around cables to connect different patches and all this sort of stuff, like you really do learn more of like, why is this sound happening rather than on like yes. a, a, yeah. a digital synth, you're just turning something that has like 20 things happening in the background. Exactly. Yeah. My understanding of sound and synthesis grew tremendously because you're forced to go, well, I need a sound coming out this output. How do I get it there? (laughs) You have to create that chain, you know, to to do that thing. And and to me, I'm not a visual artist per se, but I know guys that are. And to me, it's like painting. You start and you go, I'm just going to do this little thing. And then you go, Ooh, like, what if I did this? And then boom, next. And before you know it, you have 400 cables coming out of all these holes it looked you know somebody were to pull one out they're screwed i mean you'll never remember what you did but one move starts dictating the next move and you start you know and you know sometimes you'll create crap but a lot of times like uh my album end of an empire my cellular album end of an empire that was when i was really just totally balls deep in 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 modular stuff and a lot of the synth sound design on that whole album was done on modular synths and and live instruments um I have a song called Down to Earth, and it's just this grimy, gritty, like, tone. It's like, what is that? It's it's a bass guitar. I literally took my bass guitar, mm-hmm. ran it through a series of a few plugins, and started automating it to the tempo of the track, and it just it just creates stuff that I don't even know how I would get that sound in the box. Right. Yeah, I, I did that a lot on this last record I did, too, where I was manipulating uh, the guitar to actually make some really unique, like, synth-sounding stuff. Um but I think that like you like having that physical touch onto something does allow you to um and if you're if you're going a creative way about it, like a lot of people you can start on a preset, but you still need to do some manipulation to make it unique. But if you start with a yeah. electric guitar and you're trying to make it sound like a synth, you're gonna come up with something pretty unique in the end. Oh know? yeah. Yeah, no question. Yeah. You know, they, for for anybody who's interested, even like a simpler version of this, you can get uh, as much as like a lot of people hate them, Behringer, the company Behringer mm-hmm. made this, they make a bunch of knockoff stuff, but they have their own synth. It's a little rack synth. It's uh, I think it's like 250 bucks, 300 bucks. It's called the Neutron. It sounds incredible. And there's a bunch of patch points built into the thing. So if you want to get into the idea of patching, you can take cables and patch things right on that synth, or you don't even have to worry about the patch bay. You just, it's, it's USB. So it can go right to your there computer. You hit a keyboard and you're making sound instantly. And the filters are sound great. There's a built-in digital delay. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a good starting point for, for somebody who wants to get into stuff. You can make really clean synth sounds or you can make really grimy ones. And you can run your own sounds through the thing and through the filters. Yeah. And, uh, some inspiration in there for sure. Heck yeah. And, and I think that uh, we came to a realization that, that the dingy basement that you started in is actually why you got into industrial. It might be. Yeah, that has to be I it. mean, that's really, that's where uh cell dweller came from. My, my mom would come down and be like, you're a cellar dweller, like get out of the cellar. And I'm like, no, I'm like, this is heaven to me, you know? Yeah, so that's, that that's makes a lot good. of sense. That's a, yeah. some good, some good lore there. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And I mean, especially like when did, when was that era? Like what year was that, was that era happening? I was, I, I started with a four track, and I had like a Randall guitar head and a hand-me-down guitar bottom. I had a Tama drum kit, which I had, I had a paper out for three years, maybe that took me that long to save for this like used Tama drum set that I had. Um, and that was, that was in the later eighties is when I started. And I got signed in 1990, I believe was my first quote unquote record deal. Um, and that's really what kicked off one, once the door was opened even an inch I was wedging my fist in there and I was not letting that door shut. So <laughs> I, I starved for a really long time. Um, you know, I bypassed a lot of, of the pleasures that my friends were uh, engaging in. Like I didn't hang out with anybody. I never went out to eat because I didn't have any money. I, I, didn't, I didn't go out on Friday nights and get drunk. I didn't care, man. I had my head in the manual. I was reading up on this gear, that the very little that I had. I wanted to eat every piece of knowledge that I could. Pre-internet. Couldn't couldn't watch a YouTube video, no tutorials to speak of, and I annoyed the hell out of all the guys that worked at the music stores because I would ask them so many questions to the point where one guy finally said, "Hey man, 
you want to hire me after hours? I'm 35 bucks an hour. I, I, I was pissed because the dude <laughs> basically insulted me, but that I was curious, man. I was hungry and I wanted to learn. And I think that's anybody listening. That's your biggest asset. It's like, what do you want to do? Really anything you want to do, you can do. It does not mean there's a quick and easy path to get there. A lot of times they're long and bumpy, windy roads, but the reward is great because you're going to do things that not a lot of people have a, have the courage to see through. Definitely. And I mean, it's, it's the story with a lot of people that have long-term careers. And I think that um, going that path does create long-term careers too, rather than like, um, you know, expecting to have just some big hype moment that makes you Insta famous. And then those people don't uh-huh. last. They absolutely oh. do not last. Um, and and that, that's where we live, man. It's like the TikTok world. Everybody just wants to go viral. And I'm like, that is the thing. What you just said is a hundred percent true. People, I, and I don't think people understand that quick rises probably mean most of the time quick falls. And then you're like vanilla ice where you become the butt of everybody's joke. You know, like, Oh, remember that guy, you know, like what, or whatever, you know, I don't even know a modern example. But, we, uh, um, we, we played after vanilla ice at gathering the juggalos like three years ago. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I heard he was doing the, the like the whole juggalo circuit. Yeah, we, it was, it went waka flocka into vanilla ice into the browning. It was wow. Yeah, it was that's a lineup. It was it was pretty sick. Um, except it really wasn't. Um, but (laughs) yeah, um, yeah. I just I think that what you've and and so you've you started in you know the eighties and you got signed in the late nineties and you've kind of seen this. You've definitely been involved in seeing this transition from how the industry was set up to how the industry is set up now. And like mm-hmm. you also run a record label. And so clearly there was something in the industry that said, you know what, I can either do this better or it's more beneficial to not really be involved to that degree with someone else. Um, and so like, what was the catalyst that made you want to um, do this yourself as far as put out your own music, have your own record label and do it like that? I was given two options. Um, Lay down and die or do it myself. <laughs> exactly. Those are my two options. So I, either, I was either going to give up on my career because I, I ended up in a lawsuit and I wasn't the only one with my first label. They locked up my whole career. They locked it up. They were like, we're about to go bankrupt, but you're under contract. So we can't give you money for a new album, which I wasn't even getting money. I was working full-time jobs when I was making my music, but that was my outlet. I was creating music and I could release it on a label. And at least it would get out there. And mm-hmm. they basically were like, Nope, we, we can't do that. Cause we're, we're, we're struggling here. We may be going under, um, and, but you're under contract. So you can't go anywhere else. So I, um, had, had an attorney. I didn't have one. Somebody approached me and like, Hey, I'll do it on spec. And it took a year and a half to get out of a deal. And I scrounged and scraped during that time to make music, uh, which is when I met, uh, uh this guy, Chris Angel, he, he does magic. He's in Vegas. Um, friend of mine, he, he found me at that actual moment. In fact, I was on tour as circle of dust, which was my project at the time. And he was hitting me up and calling me saying, Hey, I want to talk to you about producing music for me. So I, I made music for him at the time to survive. And when I finally got out of that deal, um, that was really when the beginnings of the idea of cell dweller were born. So I, I, I realized that, um, labels sucked in fact i had another deal for that last circle of dust album i did once i got out of the first bad deal i signed another deal for just one album and that even got screwed and i finally was like why am i doing this like the advent of the internet was there so uh and there was this site called mp3.com and it was like you could just upload your tracks which back then piracy was a big thing right it was napster and everybody was all up in arms about you're stealing our music. Lars Ulrich's over there, you know, having a fit because people are downloading Metallica tracks. I'm on the other side of that coin going, I'm broke. I can't pay my rent. I can't eat, but I have this site that if I upload my tracks and let people listen to them for quote unquote free, they'll share advertising money. And I literally was pulling in between two and 300 bucks a month on mp3.com. And that made a huge difference. All of these things helped me survive that time. And the more I did myself, I did all my own album art. Like I created my own art in Photoshop. Mm-hmm. I did my fo- own photo shoots. I produced all the music. I did everything that I could as a completely broke musician because I had the dream. I had the desire, did not have the money, didn't have all the skill sets, but I was going to do, I, I, I was going to be damned if I was going to lay down and die. I'm like, I'm going to do everything I can to live, you know, yeah. and that, that really, and the further I got into that, 
process, um, the more brainless it was to me. Like, why would I ever go back to a label? Like, yeah. I'd rather do this myself. Definitely. And for the people here that know my story and everything I've done, like you're, you're like telling my story currently. <laughs> okay. So you're in the same boat. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's so, and the, the thing is there's a lot of musicians that have been put in these same sort of predicaments and it just sucks whenever like, it's, it's not just like your livelihood in the sense of like, this is how you're supposed to pay your bills or, you know, provide, but also like the thing that really got me about getting screwed by labels um, still is the the lack of motivation that it gives you like as an artist to be like man I'm just like like why am I doing this if in the end I'm just like getting screwed uh-huh. like over and yep. over and over and so it like kind of really messes up a lot of people's motivation to continue like going for this stuff but it is the people that persevere through that and um, learn I mean it's all I, I feel like the first decade of anyone's career is learning and figuring it, it, out. It is, and pay, painfully, like painfully. <laughs> and a lot of a lot of other artists that were on the same label or in the same circles that I was walking in at the time gave up for that exact mm-hmm. reason. They couldn't they couldn't handle being completely broke and the uncertainty. Like I went into it going, I don't know how I'm going to survive. I don't even know how I'm going to eat tomorrow. But I am not. I'm not going down the block to get a job. I have a friend, one of my dearest friends in my life still, and he started as an internship at MTV when I, the same time I got a record deal. So we both had these two different paths. And at some point during that lawsuit and everything that was going on with me, he called me, he said, look, man, he was much higher up at MTV at the time. He's like, look, I had built my own websites because again, I couldn't pay anybody to do it. So I learned how to code HTML by hand. I did this all myself. Yep. Um, and he's like, you're doing really good, like building websites. He's like, there's an opening here at MTV come in and, and, and I'll give you, I'll get you a job. I can intro you to the right people. And I just was like, look, man, I love you. I appreciate the offer, but no, I, you know, I knew already at that point in my career, I'd rather starve until I died before I would want to go get a nine to five because I knew once I did that, it was over. I was never going to make music. I've seen people do it around me. And I knew once you start making money, what you're going to just one day go, I know what I feel like being broke again. I'm going to go back to starving and trying to make music. Like if you're gaining momentum, it's incremental. And if you let the foot off the gas for a second, you're done. Yes. You're done. You're starting from zero, especially today more than ever. Yeah. So, and and so many musicians are dealing with that right now because COVID forced them into yes. that. You yep. know? I mean, yep. even me, I started a company. I still work for myself and it's still hard to get away from it because there's, for the first time in my life, I have consistent income, you know? And yeah, so it's, yeah. it's hard to get away from, but it's, it's learning a balance between the two. Yes. Yeah. And, and at some point, if you're fortunate, one thing starts generating enough, like, like obviously preferably the music starts generating mm-hmm. enough money where you can go, you know what? I don't have to do this other thing anymore. Yeah. I, I did side gigs. I mean, I, 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 at the time I worked with Chris Angel, not because I wanted to, I wanted to just do my own thing, but I, I needed the money, you know, yeah. and we ended up becoming really good friends and that changed the course of, of my career, the tra- trajectory at the time. But, um, you know, it's like, yeah, ha- having, it, it was just a, a, a tumultuous time and it's like really just doing anything to survive. So I took gigs producing really like low level bands. Not mm-hmm. that I wasn't a low level band, but I just wanted to make my own low level music, not somebody else's. Yeah. But I had to do it just to get a few hundred bucks to pay bills, you know, oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, um, it was probably like eight years ago. I started up a multimedia company where I was like, come to me and I will do everything for your band. I'll do album art, I'll record, I'll mix master, I'll print the CDs, I'll make your shirt designs. Wow, yeah. I was wow. I was basically like, because like you have done, I also did everything like that for myself because I couldn't spare $100 to pay an artist to make a shirt design. Like I had to right, do it myself. Right. Yep, <laughs> and, exactly. And so um, like coming from that background and coming from your um, situations that you went into and starting your own label, how how can you provide for an artist in a proper way um, compared to what like a lot of labels are actually doing? Well, for starters, and it would probably be obvious to many people here um, because you're interviewing me. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm not coming. I'm not coming to an artist as an exec wearing a tie behind a desk. Right. I'm coming to an artist as an artist that has gotten screwed and bent over the couch many times. Like I didn't even tell you about the worst 
record deal I signed where I was literally hundreds of thousands of dollars in the hole. It's it's a nightmare story. I won't waste time talking <laughs> about it. There, it's all over online. There's a video, yeah. I think, on my YouTube channel. You can see me explaining it. But um, uh, yeah, it, it was um, it was dark times. But when so this is what happened. I, I start um, by going, I'm going to just do everything myself. I had a manager at the time. And really early on, this guy, James Rhodes, who was a fan, hit me up and was like, man, I'd love to just do anything for you. Let me do anything. And it took a long time for me to trust him to even do one little task. He grew that. And I was like, wow, this guy's killing it. Again, he worked a full-time job and for two years, basically interned for free to do things for me. And it grew and grew um, his responsibility and his capability so that at some point I'm like, I'm scraping together a few hundred bucks just to pay this guy because he needs to quit his job. That's what he wants to do. That's mm-hmm. what I wanted to do. So that's really the beginning of what became Fix, the label. And as we started diving in and, and I'm manufacturing CDs, doing my own art, manufacturing merchandise, shipping uh, orders, you know, processing orders worldwide. Um, I started going, why am I doing all of this for myself? I have a brother, a young, one of my younger brothers who uh, is also musically inclined. He was doing great music, but he, had no idea how to do anything. He's like, I can make the music and that's it. And I'm like, well, why don't we take what we're doing for a cell dweller and apply that to my brother? And that's really how it started. And from there that grew and we just started signing more and more artists. And, you know, we've definitely made some mistakes. We've definitely signed some artists that I probably regret at this point ever even having a dialogue with, but for the most part, (laughs) everything was great. You know, everything's great. Sometimes you get some bad apples. That's just the way it goes. But for the most part for us as a label, we were doing a 50-50 deal before anybody. Everyone I knew was in 90-10 deals, meaning 90% of your money went to the label. Yeah. And 10% of the money went to the artist. I make sometimes 18. Which had, yeah, 18. Yeah, there you go. So 18. But, but then if you have a band with five guys and yep. a manager and a booking agent, all of these people are taking cuts and you have to recoup all of the money that they're claiming to dump into your career along the way. Mm-hmm. We are completely transparent. We were doing 50, 50 deals where artists were coming to us going, uh, what you 50% like shocked meaning, meaning, you know, there were some artists that didn't have the, the, the um, history and they didn't realize what a deal like that really meant. But people like you and me who were in really bad deals, my first deal was a 90, 10 deal. Yep. And, and, um, you know, doing a 50, 50 deal. For, if I was in this for the money, and, and all and the ego and all that, I'd be like, yeah, 90, 10 deal. You know who I am? Like, I don't care about that. What I care about is bringing good art to more people's ears and helping facilitate uh, artists who I think are talented to have a career, quit their day jobs, or even if they're already quit their day jobs, how can we take what they're doing and 10 exit? And that's really historically what we've done. I mean, we, you know, our statistics speak for themselves. Um, our artists, I'm sure will tell you firsthand, um, we have several artists that have been on other labels and, and, and many times we hear from not just ones we sign, but people we even just talk to. Yeah. They're in label deals and they can't even get an email back from anybody at their quote unquote record label. And we're like, how do you not like the basics of communication? The basics of a relationship is communication. And if you're not even sending an email back to an artist to, to respond to things they're asking, or, you know, we, we account quarterly, yeah. Almost all our artists, unless they're completely unrecouped, are making money every quarter. We provide opportunities. We have relationships. Like we talked about in the beginning, we have spent decades opening up doors with with places like Apple and Spotify. Although Spotify really mm-hmm. is only popularity in the last you know seven years or so, but we you know this is what our focus is, and the objective is not to be filthy rich and, and each own ten Lamborghinis. Um, we don't own any Lamborghinis, which is fine because I don't, I don't even like them. Yeah. But um, and, you know, just just being able to the reward for me is seeing artists that I think are talented light up, and we're like, hey, we got a we got you a, a review or an interview in Revolver Mag, or hey, you're going to be on Spotify's you know um, you know uh, metalcore playlist or something with one and a half million followers. And, you know, it's like I know for me if those things would have happened to me early in my career, I would have been a different person. That would have been like amazing. But I felt like it was totally me mm-hmm. against the world. And that even included my own record label because right. I didn't really feel like I was getting any support from them. So we definitely are here to support the artists. And, um, you know, we want to see, we want to see them grow and prosper. Yeah. And, and by default, so do we as a label, but really as a business, 
I probably would get slapped in the face by any businessman because I don't make good business decisions. A good businessman wouldn't be like, hey, why would you give an artist with only 200 monthly listeners on Spotify a 50-50 deal? You have more to offer than they have to offer you. And I'm like, I, I think you're setting the relation, you're, you're launching that relationship off on the wrong foot. Yeah. Because it's not about making the money. It's like, if you really feel like they're talented, this is how we do it. And we're partners, yep. you know, let's, let's grow this together. And when that same artist who had 200 monthly listeners now has 200,000 monthly listeners, yep. it's a whole different thing. And, and that whole relationship was based on being honest, uh, being communicative, um, kind of being team players. We're all on the same team. Um, you know, and this isn't utopia. There's always issues. I mean, just with anybody you deal with on any facet, there's always going to be like ups and downs, but for the most part, um, we, we have artists that really are into who we are and what we do as a label. And we, as a label have a bunch of artists that we are really into and think are really talented. Yeah. And I mean, this is all like, I've, I've been saying this forever and it is that there needs to be more musicians in the music industry. Like, like yeah, there, needs to, sense. there needs to be people that have lived it and have an absolute passion for music in general, be the ones that are running the stuff behind the scenes. Because like, like you said, you, you're, you're giving them uh 50% and you guys are taking your 50% and reinvesting it into them as well. And so it's mm-hmm. like, there's, there's just a way more, there's like more appreciation there than any other sort of build. Um, and I just, it's the same reason why I actually have never gotten into like managing bands because even though a manager only takes 15%, I like can't even get myself to do that. So I'll just work for free forever, you know? Right. Exactly. And, exactly. And so, you feel guilty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, but like you guys are using your 50% to invest in the band and to, you know, build them up. And it is more about a passion for it. Like you said, you'll work with someone with 200 monthly listeners because you see potential. Whereas like you said, in the modern world, it's this TikTok, TikTok. Like if they're not, if they don't have a million likes on TikTok, I don't want to look at yeah, it. They're not even getting recorded. Right. They won't even look at it. And, and when they go, Oh, you do have a million uh, likes or follows or whatever on TikTok then it's like, it's a, it's a money game. They don't really care about that person as an artist. They are looking at dollar bills. Like mm-hmm. that's, that is the difference. Exactly. You know? And yeah. And, and like, I'm, I'm very vocal about even my current uh, label situation because uh, like you said, you can't even get a response. Sometimes they pay so little attention that I can say whatever I want on here and they would never even know. Uh, Cause it's not like they would <laughs> listen to it anyways. Um, I'll literally, I waited two months for one phone call with them and it was, it was 30 minutes. That's what I got. Yeah. You know, that is freaking insane. And I'm, I'm working with fixed on a remix record right now um, where a lot of fixed artists are, you know, uh, like remixing Remixing stuff. And like I can text James and he responds immediately, no matter what. (laughs) This is, this is what we do because, you know, um, in the beginning, I realize, like, I want to be an artist person. Like, I want to make art. I want to make music. That's what I like to do. But overseeing the vision, that is, I'm, I'm, I'm that last thing that mm-hmm. makes sure that everything going out the gate, I'm, I'm curating. But the team that we built, starting with James and trickling down through the whole company, that's what we're here to do. We're here to support artists and, and, like, relationship. Forget record label. Just, just people. Like, are you going to want to hang out with somebody or? do anything with people you can't even get to, to text you back or talk to you. It's like, right. it's just so backwards. And then you're, and then you're having that problem with people who are taking 90 to you know 80 to 90% of your money. You know, it's like, it's just, it's just so backwards and so wrong, you know? And, and of course we're in a time where you've got guys like Kanye West spouting, you don't need labels, do it yourself. Well, yeah, you're, you're multimillionaire. It's easy for you to say that. Yeah. And you've got the kids that go, yeah, we don't need labels. And you know what? There are a lot of people who don't need labels. That's totally true. That's fine. And that's why the principle here that I've always uh, kept as a tenant in in the company is we want to find people that fit with us and that we fit with. So we're not looking to sign artists with big numbers so we can cash out. Like, especially if their attitudes suck. I don't want to, I don't want to be, I don't want to be in business with you. Yeah. I don't want to deal with you. I, I don't have the time. Our team doesn't have the time. This is much more to us about relationships. So 
the people that we come across and have conversations with and both sides are going, this is a really good fit. Those are the, those are the types of artists that we sign. Yeah. We're definitely, definitely not, we're not on TikTok looking for the next <laughs> viral hit at all. That is not our MO. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because that is such a common thought that bands and certain like industry people have, but I've talked to three, like, you know, pretty significant industry people on here and they have said that that is not their concern. Like, and maybe it's just cause I'm talking to people that I would actually get along with, you know, <laughs> but okay. yeah. you know, yeah. the, they are saying like, no, we're not necessarily looking for that, but there are so much of the industry that is, and I guess it's just finding the right people in the right time. And you can really tell that by how much effort's put in. And you can also tell the difference between someone blowing smoke up your butt, what they can do for you. Right. And then right. someone exactly. that has yeah. proved history. And so, yeah. um, you have, new music, a uh, new record coming out for cell dweller S- satellite, right? Correct. Satellites. Yep. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, we're sitting here, uh, you know, pretty deep into your career, but I'm sure that you haven't even hit your peak yet, but how do you find this inspiration this far in, um, for creating new music, like still like so much new music as well? Well, not, not to get into the nightmare of my current life, but <laughs> I, I moved from New York to Detroit. Really, like I said, I, I needed to get out of New York. I needed to change. I ended up in Detroit through a series of events. It doesn't matter, but I ended up growing fixed. And really, I built my first real studio that I ever owned in Michigan. Like, it doesn't matter wherever I wherever I am, I never leave. So I could build I could build a studio in, in, in Alaska. It doesn't matter as long as I have internet and heat, yeah. I'll be good. <laughs> so, um, you know, doing that. Um, my, my output was insane. Then, um, finally I got to the point in my life where like, I've been with this girl for six years. I'm like, I'm going to get married. Then we get married and immediately like unbeknownst to us, we get pregnant with twins. So I'm, I'm going from like me and a cat seven days a week working. And now I've got a wife, stepkids, uh, twins on the way. And we, at the same time, we finally decided to make a move that I wanted to make for a long time. I'm like, let's move to Los Angeles, right? Yeah. I had some friends out there. I knew there'd be opportunities. We build a house from scratch. Um, I'm going to build a new studio, the best studio I've ever built in my life. And the whole process is a complete nightmare, complete nightmare. Um, three years dealing with contractors, almost none of them finished the work that we, we paid them to do. Um, and I think we, and, and then the pandemic on top of it, and then you've got California at, on its own, Los Angeles specifically, yeah. the mask mandates, the COVID mandates, the taxes, the crime rates, the homeless, the list went on and on where finally I was like, there is literally no benefit, no benefit for us to be here. Mm-hmm. So we basically walked away from, from the studio, the house. I mean, I built a studio that was 90% done and I never worked a single day in it. Not one day. <laughs> that I had pictures. I have pictures and video and that's all I have to show, but I never even worked a single day in it. And I'd rather be someplace with less tension, uh, less conflict, less taxes and all that. Right. So in the beginning, and I'm getting to a point, trust me, I, like I said, I'm an Italian New Yorker. I, I can't shut up, but, but I got it in my brain. So w- when we moving there, I would take trips out to LA by myself into in our new house. Cause we didn't move in right away. We were building and getting a backyard built and starting the studio. So I had an eight by eight room eight feet by eight feet. That's all it was. And I had a little desk and I set up my laptop and that was all, and a guitar. That's literally all I had. And in about a two week span, the inspiration, because it was new, I was moving to LA. This was going to be this next chapter. It was flowing out of me. And I wrote so much music that became, that ended up becoming final tracks on satellites. Yeah. But during that three years, I was managing contracting. We had kids and then we have another, we had another one on the way. So we now have three little toddlers, right. And uh, dealing with people and all the other issues and finishing building and, and, and like I said earlier in the call, designing the studio, figuring out where the gear is going and what does the furniture look like? And what's the layout? It's extremely time consuming. And the more time that went on, the more I just, I couldn't find time to work. Mm -hmm. And the inspiration was like, how do you get inspired when you're surrounded by jackhammer? Like I can hear it right now. I don't know if you can, but somebody's outside this door drilling something right now, working on my new studio. Yeah. So um, to stay to stay inspired, it's it, it's it's really it was really difficult. It, quite honestly, it still is right now. But thankfully, I love making sounds. I I, I never 
I'm never out of ideas. It's just taking me a lot longer to complete them. And I think once this new studio is done and everybody's out of here, no contractors, my kids are in school, whatever's happening, like I'm going to get back in a flow where I'm making a lot more music. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it, it is tough to balance though, like life and creativity, like mm-hmm. very much so. And I, I have a two and a half year old right now. And okay. So you're on the same, similar boat. Yeah. And, and even just, one, I couldn't imagine what it would be like if I had three currently. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but so you're providing for, um, you know, a pretty large family currently yeah. uh, with yep. a creative outlet. So, um, does it feel too much like a job to you or is it still mainly your passion that's driving it? Oh, it is, it is 90% my passion. Like, and, and that's, that's the benefit of, you know, if people were to look at me and be like, Oh man, this guy, mom and dad probably just gave him a bunch of money and he built this studio. Like you don't know how long and <laughs> how long I've starved and how hard I've suffered. You know, it's just the way it goes and I'm not crying about it, but there is a long story behind any success I may have. Yeah. Um, but that has given me the ability and the flexibility to do things like I was saying earlier. Like I'm not, we're not signing artists because they have certain number of listeners because we need to make a huge amount of money. I want to sign artists that are bringing value to the label and to the company and to my life, and to their lives. Um, so that that's, what's allowed me to um, make the decisions I do. So there are parts of my job currently that I'm like, I don't want to do this, you know, like, but, that is a really small price to pay when I remind myself daily about, you know, I grew up and I did paper routes from an early stage. I washed dishes at an Italian restaurant. I busted concrete. Um, I worked at a, a, a music store, not, not, not instruments like, like records and tapes and that kind of stuff. Like it's, I, I've done everything that you can imagine. Cut lawns. I, I did everything yeah. just to survive. Um, and, and all of that time and all of that sacrifice has allowed me now to go, well, you know what? I don't want to do that. I want to do this. And so a lot of, a lot of what I do, fortunately, is stuff I like to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's like kind of, I feel the goal anyone should have is if you enjoy it, then stick to it. And inevitably it will work out. I think perseverance is the number one factor in life number in general, one. like not even yes. only in a creative sense, but in just life in general, like, uh, Absolutely. You just got to stick it out. And um, yep. so you, you've done a lot of things too that are, have like bigger, like commercial stuff, like video game soundtrack, you know, even working with Chris Angel, like that's, that's sick. Uh, Cause even back then he was like on top of the world kind of, you know? And yep. so is, is that stuff um, something you specifically try to get? Like, you know, movie trailer, you know, soundtracks and, you know, stuff like that. Is that like a main goal for you or is just the, you write this music and that's like something that just happens like on the side? Well, it's, it's weird because answering that question in 2022, when this stuff really started in like 2000, (laughs) it's a totally different, it's a different story now than it was then. For sure. In 2000, uh, my manager at the time, um, had just become a manager. I wrapped up things with Chris, you know, Chris Angel. He and I were business partners for six years. I really never cared about magic. It was the visuals that I liked, but I did all the music. And finally I was like, you know what? I'm just, I look like a guitar player in somebody's band. I don't, I don't want to do that anymore. So mm-hmm. he went and did his thing. That's when he got his Vegas thing happening. And I'm like, I'm going to start this thing, Cell Dweller. And at the same time, my manager, Tyler, um, who is the owner and president of Position Music. They're a huge like licensing company, record label. Now, they weren't then. He started the company. He's like, hey, I'd like to manage you. And he's like, I'm moving from Nashville to LA and I want to start this like licensing. Thing. I want to, you know, and I'm like, I didn't really even know what that meant. Yeah. So during that process, I'm creating the new cell dollar album, the first cell dollar album that ever existed. And so all the sounds, the creativity, the songs, all of that just came from my head. That's it. There's no, I wasn't writing for a specific cause. And it just so happened. I was the first placement his company ever got in anything. Yeah. Um, one of my, one of my songs. And from there it just grew. And it turns out that the sound of sailboiler that I haven't had in my head, the movie industry loved for things like Spider-Man and Superman, mm-hmm. and, you know, all whatever, I mean, the matrix, you know, so I was getting a lot of uses. And to me, that was the tipping point where I went from being completely broke to going, Oh my God, I could, I could buy dinner and I don't have to sweat, <laughs> like, you know, paying my rent this month. It was, it was pretty amazing to, to me. So I wasn't looking to do that. That just happened to be something I worked really hard to do. And my ear 
just was naturally inclined to making sounds that I guess the movie industry at the time loved. Definitely. Now things change radically and quickly. Um, but really, you know, having friends, like I have a friend, Tom Salta, he scored like crackdown, the hate, you know, like that's, he's done stuff in the halo franchise, all of this stuff. And one day he called me, he's like, Hey, I got a call from Microsoft. Um, they want me to score this, this video game called killer instinct. They're doing season three. And he's like, I really want like this to be like, rock star level stuff and he's like he, he's like i'm telling microsoft i know a rock star let me call him. so he's <laughs> like dude you and i let's score this thing together and that was a great experience i love tom we had a great time doing that score but again i i wasn't out you know putting ads in the personals going hey somebody hired me to do a, a, a soundtrack really everything that i do ultimately is my pursuit of doing whatever I want. So yeah. <laughs> creating the music that I want to create, I have been fortunate because I starved for so long that I built enough cushion now over, over decades that I can take the opportunities they want and, and decline the ones I don't want, you know? Yeah. So, you know, if I were to go out and hustle, I could probably find more work than I'm taking right now. But I, I, you know, at, at some point you get one life and how do you want to live it? It's like, I don't want to, I don't want to spend my time doing a lot of things that I, that I hate doing. You know, mm -hmm. I want to do things I love doing and that's being surrounded by gear and making cool sounds and hopefully writing a good song once in a while, you know? So <laughs> that's where I put up most of my effort. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's not only like you've transitioned this into not only just your own creative endeavor, but you're also um, helping others achieve the same. And I think that that's like an ultimate, um, the ultimate goal is to not only have a good life for you and yourself, but also create a better life for the others around you. And I think that you're doing that through um, your label as well. I, I hope so. I mean, you know, like, there, like I said, there's always ups and downs and some relationships just don't totally work out. But for the most part, everything has been great. And, and I hope when all said and done that people do look back and be like, man, he gave me that opportunity to do this. And now I'm doing this in my life where I would have been maybe, yeah. working a day job or something, you know, yeah, that's it. um, and, and you know, some of it is on, the, on, on people. I can't make decisions for every artist that we sign there. And there is work that the artist has to put in too, but that's the beauty is that artists now have a resource to lean back on. That would be us. You know, we have, the, we have relationships. You make great music. You worry about the art. What is your vision? What's your brand? What mm -hmm. is your visual? What do your visuals look like? And we help facilitate that. And hopefully you're right. At the end of the day, we, we impact some people that will later look back in their life and go, man, I had a really successful career doing this. Yeah. Here's and, the hope. And that's so sick. And um, when does satellites come out? Uh, October 14th. October 14th. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm always checking into your stuff. I think that you have the some of the cleanest, best, most creative uh, electronic work. And that's at, like inspiration I always look for. And so... Um, Thanks, I, I think you're doing it as good as it is. And I appreciate you being here talking to me as well. Yeah. Thanks for having me on the, on the podcast. Yeah. Whenever the, that first drill went off, I actually thought you were playing music. It sounded like a synth. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was so bored. I was just riffing, you know? Yeah. Got a sample. <laughs> no, man, it's, yeah. That, that, that's why I make industrial music because I'm just surrounded by drills and <laughs> saws all day long. Yep. All right. Well, thank you so much, Clayton. I appreciate you being yeah. here, man. Same Johnny. Appreciate it, man. Yep. Bye. Take care of yourself. Thank you for listening all the way through that episode. I appreciate it so much. Make sure you head over to burnthisworld.com and click become a member. For only $3 a month, you can support everything that we're doing here, and you can listen to the after show recap to get my personal thoughts on what me and the guests just chatted about. Again, thank you so much. Peace out.